This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. That's not thank you. Right tomorrow, thank you. So there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, but I know that originally there's a, from Moshe Feinstein that you should celebrate it, and then there was one that you shouldn't. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. But the word Thanksgiving is is um, you know America. Whatever you want to think of America, uh, there are certain things about this country that uh, that are still very good that they're trying to ruin, but it's still very good. And one of them is that in every every dollar bill, on every coin, it says, in God we trust. They try to get that off. They're trying to get that off. But Lamai said, when it comes to money, is the time when you least are connected to Hashem. I made the money. You think you made the money. So that the founding fathers of America thought to put on the money specifically that it says, in God we trust, is, is a big thing. You can't, you can't um, discount that. And, and what is Thanksgiving? They're, 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 they're making a Sudesh Haidah, it happens to be Hodu, it has to be Turkey, but they're, they're thanking um, God. Who are they thanking? They're thanking God that it's a free country and that um, the Puritans, uh, the pilgrims came from England and they were being, prosecu- they were being persecuted by the, by the church, by the queen, and that's where they ran away. They couldn't stay in England, so they ran to America. They said there were a lot of Jews on the Mayflower. I don't know the whole story. I didn't really look into it or not. I'm sure I'll get emails that there were. But um, So the idea of Thanksgiving, of course, like Mother's Day and Father's Day, we say we have Thanksgiving every day. But at least they have Thanksgiving one day. Other countries don't have Thanksgiving one day. So um, I don't know the halacha, not the halacha with the turkey. So many turkeys died today. Um, um, but... I don't know how the turkey types or the other types, but there are kosher turkeys. And there are some American rabbanim that feel very much that you should show Hakar Satov in that way. Um, so it's, it's a holiday. It's, um, it's not a Goyish holiday. It's an American holiday. And um, I think anytime you, you, you show thanks to Hashem, and, you know, and the whole thing is based on family. They, they sit with their families and they all sit together. And they thank God for what he, what he gave us. I think that's what's holding America together. I don't know how long it's going to last, but um, it brings a little chashivas to the country. Anyway, um, so this week's passion is Pashas Chayi Sara, the life of Sarah. We're going to go a little bit off subject probably tonight, but we're going to try to start in the beginning to be on subject. So it's very hard to understand, if you understand who Sarah Yemenu was, so that we're going to learn a little chidah tonight. The chidah and the Rav Chaim Bital talks about that Sari Yimeinu was a Gilgal of Chava. That's why Sari Yimeinu was very beautiful. Because we saw in the parasha where Avraham Avinu sees her in the um, reflection of the water. And he says, I didn't know that you were so beautiful to this point. Um, and Rashi says, what do you mean, you didn't know what you look like? You can't get married to someone unless you know what they look like. So it had to be that one time a Roman saw her face. You're not allowed to marry someone if you never saw their face before. So then you don't know, if you, you don't know exactly who you're marrying. That's why we have Badekin. Right? Um, so so he, he must have seen her before. So why all of a sudden when he's going into Mitzrayim does he say, I didn't never know how beautiful you were? And Rashi says because he knew she was beautiful. But they were traveling. When you travel, you look your worst. Traveling is hot, you're schlepping, right? You, you don't have a mirror, you can't get dressed up. So he said, even when you travel, Sarah, you look so beautiful. So, so the, 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 the Rav Chaim Vital says that, yes, because who are the most beautiful people ever created? Mm-hmm. Had to be Adam Chava. Why? Because there was no human, they were created by Hashem's hands. So there was no DNA, there was nothing that could be off. So they were perfect. Hashem created them with his hands. Um, they weren't born. There was no belly button. There was no umbilical cord. They were not, they were not from parents. They didn't have to give it a name. They didn't have that mitzvah. They had no parents. Um, so she was very, 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 very beautiful. And, and, and Sarah was a Gilgal of her. So she looked like her. And Avram was a Gilgal of Adam. And the two of them were trying to change the world to fix what they did. Because Adam and Chava brought Avera into the world. And Avraham and, ha- and, and Sarah were bringing Hashem into the world. So, the Siddha is very fascinating. And, 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 and we see that, you know, we know that Sarah Yimeno was 127 years old. And it says that, this is really one of my main points tonight, which is very important. It says the following. 
But Yavoy Avraham, Avraham came, and he's coming out from Akedas Yitzchot, right? So Rashi says that when, there's a whole story, you'll learn this as little girls, that the Satan showed Sarah a picture of Abraham Avinu with the knife about the Shech Yitzchak, and when she said, saw that, she went, oh! and her neshama went out. Who understands that? You're talking about a Tzadikista here. You're talking about Sarah Yemenu. You think that she wasn't as great as Abraham Avinu? That because she saw, his, she saw him, Shechting, Yitzchak, that she died? So there's a lot more going on over here. Um, We'll see in a minute. And it says, very interesting, by Yahweh Avraham whispered the star of Alib Avraham came to say a hespid and to cry. And in the word Ulib if you look in the Chomesh or in Sefer Torah, the Chaf in Ulib is small. Now, why would the Chaf be small when he cried? Why would it be small? I would think that when he cried, it would be huge. So the, the, Balaturim says, because he only cried a little. Lubchosa has a small chaf, because Avraham Avinu only cried a little. Now that sounds very much like not a good thing. If you love your wife and she passed away, you should be crying a lot. The Torah says over here that he specifically cried a little. Why did he cry a little? Everyone's like, Sarah died, and he's like, eh, okay, eh, cry a little bit. And the Torah is telling us this. Something to be proud of, that a husband doesn't cry at a funeral. It's something you shouldn't be proud of. So why does the Torah have a small chaf? This is a very important lesson. And a very deep lesson. So God created tshuva before the world. How does tshuva work? It can't be something that's created during the world. Because tshuva, you go, you're going back in time. I did something wrong. I feel bad about it. I, would, I, I have charata. I, w- I would never do it again. So you go back to when you did the Avera, my famous story with the, with the Cracker Jacks, right? You go back to do what you did the Avera, and you erase what you did wrong, and if you do tshuva me'ava, it turns into a mitzvah. Amazing. It's amazing. It's crazy what God gave us. That You can do something really bad, and then you can do tshuva, feel bad about it, I'm not going to do it again, and you can erase, not only erase it, but you can turn it into a mitzvah. It, it defies time. How do you go backwards? How do you go back to when you were a 13-year-old girl? You can't go backwards. In machshava and thought, you can go backwards. So we all in this room, we all have the power to do tshuva. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a very terrible thing. Because if you don't do it, you really show you don't care about God. In other words, if, 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 if you wrote something really nasty on the board right before the teacher came in, and you have an eraser, and you're able to erase it, and you don't erase it, that means that you really mean it. You erased it, because you erased it. You had an eraser, why didn't you erase it? So, even though true is an amazing thing, and you can go back to when you were 12, you can go back to wherever you want, whatever you did the Avera, and you can mamish change it into a mitzvah. I always tell the story of the Cracker Jacks. I was a kid. Um, I was passed by mitzvah, and I lived in Muncie in those days. We're going way back. There was no hechsha. There was no such thing as an OU. And, and I don't think there was a K. It was nothing. So how, how did kids, how did we know what we could eat or what we couldn't eat? As long as it doesn't say the word gelatin, as long as it say the word gelatin, we ate it. Okay? Gelatin is chazer. So, so there were certain gums. We used to eat Wrigley's and we used to eat all this stuff because there was no hechsha. It was just, it doesn't say, it doesn't say treif on it. So Cracker Jacks happens to have inside a prize. It's a candy that has a prize inside. If you're a kid, you always want to get the prize. It whistles, this, that, and the other thing, whatever it was. So I was like 13 years old, and I went into a store. It was a box of Cracker Jacks, and I looked at the, I looked at the ingredients, and there was no gelatin. And I wanted to get the prize. And I said to myself, the way the Yitzhahara always works, right? He doesn't come and tell you, do the big bad thing. He tells you, do the little thing. And then he leads you into the big bad thing. So in my head, I was just, I'm just going to get the prize. But to get the prize, you got to put your hands through the peanuts and the caramel popcorn. Now, how are you going to do that just to get the prize? You have to go all the way to the bottom of the box. All right, a little popcorn never changed the world. That's how he gets you. So I ended up eating the whole box of Cracker Jacks. I remember when I was teaching yeshiva, so I, I love potato chips. It's one of my vices. And I like very well-done potato chips. So I would buy a whole bag of potato chips just for the well-done bag of potato chips. 
And it's okay, it's not the end of the world. And I, need, I didn't have 120 calories with 20 trans uh, fats or whatever it says on there. I'm just going to take out the burnt ones. And the rest of them I'm going to give to the kids, whatever it is. Of course, you take out the burnt ones, and it's already open. You finish it. That's his whole concept on how he gets, you know, get a phone, just use it for texting, right, whatever it is, and then, eh, and you start, you never start off with doing the big bad one. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. He knows our psyche. So that, that's, you know, that's, that's the way, that's the way he works. Anyway, so I had this whole box of crackers, I ate the whole thing. I felt a little bad. I didn't buy the sugar daddies because I felt bad about the Cracker Jacks. And I forgot about it. I was a kid. And for some reason, a few years ago, I knew Kipper. I was standing by Musa Fenerich's row. And the Cracker Jacks came back. I don't know why. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I ate Cracker Jacks. I pretty much knew they weren't kosher at that time. They're kosher today. And I didn't change the ingredients. So maybe they were kosher. But in my head, when I ate in the Machshava, was that they weren't kosher. And I was standing in Yom Kippur and I had a much bigger stuff to do chew on. Much bigger. Lashon Hara, other things. And all this thing, you know, remember the Cracker Jacks? And I was like, Hashem, if I would know then, I was 13, what I know now about you and everything you give me, there's no way I would have eaten those Cracker Jacks. I don't even, I, I, had, I had all the candies that I wanted. I had whatever I wanted that, I, that we knew was kosher. I just ate it because I didn't really care. And I, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know who you were. I didn't have this relationship. I am so sorry. I would never eat Cracker Jacks again. I mean, now that they're kosher, something else. But I, So according to, according to the Rambam, according to Hilchus Tshuva, when, you, when, when they show the movie after 120 years, you're walking into the, you're 13 years old, and you're walking into the store, and the Yetzirah is like, yes, because the Yetzirah is the one who got you to eat the Cracker Jack. So he knows exactly what's coming up. Oh, Wallstein, watch this. Watch this, everybody. He's going to go straight for the Cracker Jacks, and he's going to open the box, because that was in his head, and then he's going to think he's going to eat the prize. But watch what happens when he puts his hand in. He's going to eat every... Uh, he's all excited. He's got all his buddies in there, and he's going to make embarrass you in his shama in front of all the other shamas because he's going to eat the Cracker Jacks, and he's waiting. He's the prosecutor. He took the film. He made the film. When you do an Avera, he's making the film. And then that Satan goes and prosecutes you. You think he's your friend? He's the guy that gets you to do Avera, films the Avera, and then he prosecutes you. He's your worst enemy in the world. And that's why it says that when you do a sin, for the for a second after you do your sin, you feel very guilty. And then, like a second later, you're like, ah, wasn't so bad. But the first second is like, I can't believe I did it. Why? Because when you do the Avera, the Satan goes to Shemayim to show the Avera so for a split second he's not there when he's not there what's left what's left Yetzitav so with that second you have the Yetzitav no, and no Yetzitav you feel guilty but then he comes flying back okay let's do something else that's why the first second you have that you have that guilt feeling so he's all excited and, and they show up and, 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 and whilst he walks in and he, tur- he comes to the Cracker Jacks and then he makes a left and then he makes a right and there's Reisman cakes, even though in those days there was no Reisman cakes. And he takes the Reisman cake and he opens it up and the Yitzhah and screaming in Shemayim, this is, someone doctored the film, I took the film! He took the Cracker Jacks! And, and while he's standing there, Baruch HaToshim, everybody in the store answer Amen. Right? And, he, and, and, and the sudden like, what, what's going on here? This is not what happened. Right? And then afterwards, an Alamichia kills him. Kills him! Because you can't make an Alamichia and a Baruch on something that's treif. So he's like, the whole thing's a lie. And, and the answer is, everything in Shemayim is MS. So it's not a lie. How can it not be a lie? I ate Cracker Jacks. And the answer is that in Machshava, you have the power to go backwards in your thought and recreate what happened. You can recreate the physical thing you ate Cracker Jacks. You can recreate the memory through Machshava and turn it into a mitzvah. If you do, Teshuvah Me'ahava. God created this before the world because in a world of time, you can't go backwards. So he had to create the antidote before time. So no one in this, everyone in this room can go backwards and wipe your board clean. Take the eraser and you can wipe it clean. And if you don't, you have to answer for not doing tshuva on top of everything else. So what does that have to do with anything? So people don't know and people think you can only do tshuva on an Avera. But I hate to tell you, you can do tshuva on a mitzvah. Once Hashem created tshuva, it has to be fair to the Yitzhahara. So you can have tshuva on a mitzvah, 
and you can have tshuva and avera. So here you go. You went, you did a mitzvah. And then that person said something nasty about you. And you're like, I wish I would have never helped that girl. She has no akarsatov. She is so miserable. I wish I would never have helped her. You just erased your mitzvah. There's tshuva on a mitzvah. Nobody talks about it. There's tshuva on a mitzvah. You could have done something good, and if you feel bad about it, you go back and erase the mitzvah that you did. So in the tefillah of Arvit, I don't know how many of you down in Meirav, we say in Hashkiveinu, Remove the satan from before me, in front of me, and behind me. So in front of me, I understand, he's always in front of me, he's trying to mess me up. Well, what about behind me? Who's behind me? Is there something behind me? Behind you means after you did the mitzvah. So first he, stopped, he tries to stop you from doing the mitzvah. But you beat him. You're strong. You beat the satan. You did the mitzvah. So he lost. No, he didn't lose. Now, he's going to try to make you regret it. And if he can make you regret it, you lose the whole thing. The biggest mitzvah ever done that protects Klai Yisrael thousands and thousands of years later with what? Akedah Yitzchak. Last week's parasha. It was the biggest. Akedah Yitzchak. He sacrificed his son for God. It saved us every Rosh Hashanah. Every Yom Kippur. The Satan lost. He tried from when Abraham Avinu woke up in the morning to take Yitzchak to Haram to Hara Maria, right? To put him on the He tried every single trick. He said, you dreamt it. It's not even true. He made rivers. Tried every trick to stop Abraham Avinu. And Abraham Avinu beat him. He did that case of Yitzchak. And the Satan said, you think you beat me? Come home to tell your wife what a crazy, crazy thing you did. Are you willing to take up your son? And Hashem said, stop. And you did the biggest myths in the world. Go, go home, tell your wife. Abraham and Sarah were very close. Avino comes home and his wife passed away. And the Satan says, you killed her. Because she saw the Akedah. And when she saw the Akedah, she died. You killed Sarah by doing Akedah's Yitzchak. So even though Yitzchak is still alive, you killed your wife. So you think you did a good thing? You're a murderer. I showed your wife what you were doing, and she had a heart attack, says Rashi, and she died. So now, Abraham Avinu could have done tshuva on the mitzvah. I go ahead and I do the biggest mitzvah in the world. I go ahead and I do, okay, that's Yitzchak. And how does God reward me? He kills my wife. So now he gets up to do the, the eulogy. If he's going to get up and cry that he lost his most beloved wife, everyone's going to think he did tshuva on the mitzvah. He's crying because he's upset because look what I got. I brought my wife. I brought my son on an akeda, the greatest moment that a human being was ever willing to do. And what's my reward? That you killed my wife? So he's going to start crying a lot. So people are going to think that Abraham Avinu did tshuva on the mitzvah. He's going to lose the whole mitzvah. So specifically here, Ulib Chosa is with the small chaf. He got up and said to the Satan, you think I feel very bad that my wife died? You think I feel bad that I did? I can't. It's not, I'm just going to cry a little. I lost my wife. Well, I'm not going to make a whole big thing out of this. You are not going to take away my mitzvah. There is such a deep lesson in the beginning of Pasha's Chayisar. Many times we do good things and we expect rewards. I know I had this kid who didn't come to shul for a very long time, and it's just a satan. And I begged him to. He used to. He used to be in my class, and I begged him to come back to Minyan. He was pretty much not from that, that from anyone. I said, just come to a few Minyanim. You know, like the good old days, you're going to give tzedakah, we'll go out for breakfast. So that morning, we davened in uh, by Rabbi Landau's. And I don't know, maybe it was his fault, maybe it was my fault, I don't remember exactly, but he got a, he got a parking ticket. And this is one of these guys that every dollar, he got a parking ticket, he went to Davin, he got a parking ticket. So he came up to me and said, you see, God doesn't want me to pray. I pray, I get a parking ticket. 
I wish I wouldn't have come today to Shul. I said, no, no, don't say that. Because you got such a big mitzvah today that you came to Shul, you don't come to Shul, and you broke yourself, and you got up, and you came to Shul, and now the answer made sure that you got a ticket because he wants you to say exactly that. I wish I wouldn't come to Shul. And the whole Shul you spent today, and the whole getting up early, out the window. Don't say that you feel bad that you came to Shul today. It's a very big lesson because so many times we do things and we expect a reward, we expect good things, and it doesn't come out that way. And we're like, you know what? You know what, Hashem? You know what? I'm not doing that no more. I wish I wouldn't have done it now. You lost your mitzvah. He takes it away from you. Very important. And the other lesson here is that not always, look what he did. He did such a great thing and his wife died from it. We don't understand the cheshman. You know, there's a subject I, I wanted to talk about tonight. You have to be careful how you talk about it. So this generation very much um, is a generation where you have to talk softly and we talk about love, 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 love and you have to love the kids and you have to let them get away with pretty much anything they want to do. And the question is, and I want to come from, I'm coming from a different side. Love also means um, discipline. And I think that's what we lost a lot because if you really love someone, if you're a coach, then you, want your, then you want your player to be the best player that they can be. And you push them to be that best player. And if you know that they can be a superstar and you don't push them, then, then and their potential is not realized and you're their coach, so you let them down. And people are very scared to push kids today. It's abuse, it's this, it's that, it's, it's that. So I believe very much in something that we're trying to teach right now, which is called positive criticism which sounds like a oxymoron. I love that word. Um, I don't know, my, I was always half that word. I always got the moron part. I don't know, they didn't call me oxymoron, but in class, like, it was like, okay, all things are moron. Anyway, so I got, I got to like that word. Oxymoron means two opposite things, right? Um, how, how could you be a, how could you have positive criticism? And the answer is that when you have expectations from someone, at the same time, you're complimenting them. If I have expectations of you, that means that I believe you could do it. That's the greatest compliment a person can have. At the same time that you're, that you're telling this person how great they are, which is very positive because they really are. I don't mean bluffing. I'm not talking about people who bluff. I'm talking about the truth. When you tell someone that you're, you know, you're very artistic and you're very smart, that's a very big compliment. But if that girl's laying in bed all day long doing nothing, at the same time that's a huge criticism. If, if, I'm, if I'm empowering you and telling you that you're great and you're a superstar and then you're not doing anything with your life, at the same time I'm saying, what's up? What's wrong with you? You're a superstar and you're not doing anything. You, 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 you don't believe in yourself, right? So it's called positive criticism. It works amazing. Because at the same time, you, you, you're, not, you're not lowering the person, you're hiring the person. My expectations are more because I know that you can do it and you're not doing it, right? First of all, it's not an other person's expectation. I don't, I don't want to say that because that's, that means I own the expectation. That doesn't work either. When someone says, like, my expectations of you is you're amazing, it doesn't work. It, you have to have, you have to have, I have to coach you that you believe you have those expectations. Because if it's, if you're, if you're having your expectations because I believe in you, then, then I own your expectation, but you don't. And if I'm out of the picture for whatever reason, you're going to fall flat on your head. So the, the, the good teacher and the good parent and the good therapist, whatever, whoever it is that's working in that relationship, has to give the child or the other person that they have expectations of themselves. You have to build their expectations in themselves. Now, when they don't realize those expectations or potential, then they're going to beat themselves up to run a little faster or run an extra mile or whatever. I'm just giving you examples. And, and I think that's the most unbelievable discipline because you're sort of giving me a hug and telling me you're special. At the same time, you're giving me a smack and telling me, why aren't you special? Why aren't you living up to it? I don't mean a physical smack. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it's something that I thought up myself, but it really works because the other one is just giving me a smack. 
just telling me I'm no good, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So you just give me a smack. You're not giving me a hug. And the Ramam says, Chinuch is hug and hit. Again, not physical. You don't have a right. You know how many calls I get a week to go to schools to talk to girls in high schools about SNES and about technology and about all these other things? And I'm like, I don't know these girls. I don't have a relationship with them. Where do I have a right to criticize them? If, if I know you care about me, and I have that relationship that you care about me, and then you, you give me a criticism, I know that it's coming from you because you love me and you care about me. But if you don't care about me, then your criticism is about you, not about me. You don't care how good I am. You want to hear yourself talk. So the Rambam says that you first have to give them the hug. They have to know that you love them. If, if I know that you love me, you care about me, tell me what I look like. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Because I know that you're doing it for me. But if you don't have a relationship with me, you're doing it for you. You're, letting me, you, 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 you're, you're criticizing me because you want to feel good. It's very, very different. That's work. That's, that's creating a relationship. But that's positive criticism. And that is amazing. It's amazing because you empower the person. At the same time, you are telling, they are telling themselves like, well, if he thinks that of me, and other people think that of me, let me look in the mirror. Maybe I need to start thinking that of me. And if I think that of me, why am I sleeping till 4 o'clock in the afternoon? Why am I doing nothing? I could, I could change the world. I could help a little kid. I could go visit someone in a, in a, in a nursing home. I could, I could change the world. There's a, somebody showed me, I don't have an iPhone. Um, someone showed me, it must be going around all over the place. Who did it happen with? Lincoln? Not Lincoln. Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison is like the biggest inventor. He invented everything. The light bulb. Anyway, so one day he came home with a paper written from his teacher to give to his mother. Um, at the same time, the principal told him that he cannot come back to school. He's, expelled, he's, he's let out of school. So he didn't know why, so he gave the paper to his mother. The little teeny boy. And I guess he couldn't read yet. And his mother reads the paper and says that, is reading that the principal um, wrote that you are a genius and you're way ahead of all the other kids in school. You cannot, you should not be in that school. You should be in a much more advanced school. But Kalkhani went to another school and became Thomas Edison. When he was much older and his mother died, he was going through his mother's papers and he found that paper. And the paper said, to the mother of Thomas Edison, your son is an idiot. He cannot keep up with any of the classes. He has a very low IQ. He does not belong in this school. He ha- he's not smart enough. And this was after he made all his inventions because his mother empowered him and told him that the school was not good enough for him because he was too smart. And when he read it, he realized that his mother saved his life. Had she read he would end up in a nothing school, he would end up being an idiot, and we'd be sitting in the dark. We wouldn't have light bulbs. So that's positive criticism. She empowered him, that the school said he's too smart to be in that school, so then he believed that, so he had to become too smart to live up to his potential. It's godless. It really, really works. And if you're a mitzvah shem, you bring up your children, it's a little bit more work. It's easier just to scream at them and yell at them and punish them. It's a little bit more work. But yes, it has to come from a positive, it has to be truth. You can't tell your kid, you could be an A student if they can't, because then you're putting pressure on them that's going to crack them, because they're going to keep trying to reach that, that A marker, and they're not going to be able to reach it, and you're going to hurt them. So you have to be honest. You have to set a, a normal goal for them. But yeah, you have to, you have to I, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I meet girls, and I'm like, and I mean it. I talk to them for an hour, and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Nothing with your life. Do you know who you are? You can draw. I can't draw. I can't even make a stick person. And you, you, you can draw. You're amazing. You can draw. You can teach kids how to draw. And some of them are musical, and some of them can dance. I don't watch them dance, but some of them can dance. And, 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 and you empower these kids, and they're, that's why in the horse ranch we have Agricultural therapy 
right, which we're going to do, agricultural therapy is pure empowerment. You have a girl who comes to, who comes to, to a rehab. She's depressed. She's anxious. She's suicidal. She, she looks in the mirror and sees nothing. She, she thinks she's, she can't do anything. How many girls have told me in my last, in, 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 in all the years that I'm dealing with girls that I, I'm a nobody. I can't do anything. I can't do it. I am not, I'm the first person God created that has no talents. They really think that. And if a person believes that, where they're going. So you now you take this girl who doesn't believe in anything, right? She's depressed. She's anxious. She's, she wants out. She wants out of the world. And you say, okay. We're gonna we're gonna farm. You're gonna plant corn. You're gonna plant tomatoes and cucumbers. Now this girl who never she doesn't believe she can do anything, all of a sudden, from her hands, from her work, there's a plant growing. And on that plant is a vegetable that you can eat. And it's my tomato, Robert Wallstein. See that tomato? It's my tomato. It's the biggest tomato here. I planted it. And there's this look in her eyes like, oh my God, it's my tomato. I created this tomato. I can do something. I can be a gardener. Now we're going to go to the kitchen and I'm going to make a salad of the things I grew. And you have a bowl and you're looking at it and you're like, I did this. If I could do this, maybe I could paint it. Maybe I could paint a bowl of salad. And also this person who believe that nothing can grow from them has learned growth unbelievable agricultural therapy and, and the reason that we're doing all this is because in the normal therapy which, which you have to have also you're revisiting your trauma so to sit a whole day and in groups and talk about let's all talk about our trauma and then you sit with your therapist and let's talk about my trauma and then you take medicine right so so and, and you need it I'm not saying the person doesn't need it but you can't you can't live in a your person can't live in their trauma so then also we take them out we're like okay you went through that we recognize that we're going to work on that but at the same time in the same day you did that now you can go outside and you can plant and you can we have a guy he's amazing he, he, he's a, a firm guy who was out in the, out in the woods for like four years, for whatever reason, in Alaska. And he's like, I'm going to take the girls. We're going to get maple syrup out of maple trees. He knows how to get maple syrup. So when we eat the pancakes in the morning, you got the maple syrup. You didn't buy Aunt Jemima's maple syrup in the store. You got the maple syrup out of the tree. How do I know about this? Because all the rehabs that I've gone to, I have seen that it's amazing. It's, 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 it sounds like farming, horses, right? That's easy. It's, it's connecting with yourself and realizing that you count. There are two girls that I, I'm not going to say I saved their lives. Hashem saved their lives. Totally depressed. No school. 15-year-old, the first one was a 15-year-old girl. I sat with her for hours. I tried all my magic. Nothing worked. Nothing. I tried all my tricks. I got a lot of stuff that I tried. Nothing worked. Even my positive, you know, positive uh, um, discipline. Nothing worked. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I got to do something here. I got to help her. I don't want to, she shouldn't hurt herself. I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. So I called the parents in and I, I spoke about this and I said, I have, a, I have a plan. You have a good therapist for her, like a superstar? I'm like, nah, not a therapist. A psychiatrist? I'm like, nah. she was in psychiatrist and therapist, and you got that already. I'm like, I want you to go to Petland and buy a rabbit. Now, these were very from people. No way are you getting a rabbit into that house. I said, not a dog. Gamora says certain dogs you shouldn't have the way dogs go to the bathroom and stuff like that. They're not sneeze. They're not sneeze stick animals, even though I have to say that in almost every rehab I went to, there are, um, there are dogs that they use a lot, a lot. That, that, that girls who don't even talk, won't talk, but if they're holding a, a, a dog, they're able to talk. It's amazing. These little chihuahuas, whatever they're called, whatever. But, we don't, according to the Gemara, and a lot of people don't have dogs in their house. Cats are some people, I don't know why, girls don't like cats. It makes them nervous. I don't know why exactly. 
maybe because they're feline, I don't know, but they don't like cats. Like every time I, like, I buy a little cat, I don't like cats. Ew, they're scary. There's something like they have gugulin. I'm like, okay, whatever it is. Therapeutic dogs they want to have, but the parents don't want to have. So I said, let's buy her a rabbit. They're like, that's ridiculous. We took her to the best therapist. She's on med- medica- this medication with that medication. And Wallstein, what is a rabbit going to do? I'm like, buy her a rabbit. Okay? She was all excited. A rabbit? A little white rabbit, right? It didn't take a year that she totally was healed. What happened? Her depression was that she didn't believe in herself. Now, she started taking care of something. It was her rabbit. She named the rabbit. It was her rabbit. Nobody could touch that rabbit unless you get her permission. She fed it. She cleaned it. She put little ribbons on his ears. Right? Whatever she did, it was ridiculous. But it was her rabbit. And she found out that she wasn't a person that didn't matter. She mattered to a rabbit. That's where it started. That's where it started. She mattered to a rabbit because that rabbit could not live without her because there was no way her mother was even opening that cage. So she fed it and she took care of it and goes on maternal like a doll, but this is a live, a live animal. And Mamish got her out of that room into the world. I did it twice and it worked both times. Today I met somebody, like, same idea, and I said, you got to go buy a rabbit. And they looked at me and I'm like, I'll introduce you to this person if she wants to talk to you about it or whatever it is. And I'm trying to get them to buy a rabbit. It's not so easy. But as long as the rabbit stays in the cage, whatever it is, you have to empower a person that so many people in this generation don't believe they could do anything. You can do so much. You can plant Everyone can plant. Everyone can take care of a rabbit. I'm going to you can ride a horse. That's already not so easy, but we all can do something. We all have that clash. And there are so many people out there that just don't believe in themselves. If Hashem, I spoke in Borough Park today. If Hashem, let me explain to you something about everyone in this room and every person in this world. You come to this world with talents. With a plan. You don't, Hashem doesn't just throw it in the world, let her figure it out. It's not what he does. And the Shama comes into this world and has a plan. You have a plan of what you need to do in this world. It would not be fair if the plan for you to do in this world was to dig holes and God doesn't give you a shovel. And you have to do it with your fingernails. So whatever the plan is, God gives you the talents to do that. So there's no one in this room who has no talent, doesn't exist, or you would have been created a rock. Rock doesn't have talent. But as a human being, so the objective is that while you're alive in this world, is to find out what is your talent. Everybody thinks I spoke all my life. Right? Well, if you get up, you're a big speaker. I never spoke because I was born with a terrible lisp. And the last thing I wanted to do was get up in front of the class and talk with that lisp. Because when you're a boy and you have a lisp, they think you're a girl. Oh, he's so cute. He has a lisp. The last thing you want to hear as a boy is, oh, he's so cute. He has a lisp. Does he have a cute... Right? It was, it's murder. Murder. And I would never get up and talk. Ever. And there are words that I cannot say to this day. There are words I cannot say where the S is very close to the TH and there's some very powerful speaker words that have those letters and I go around and I use words that mean that word but I can't say that word. And I never knew that I had that talent. Never knew that I had that talent. But my father, Olvashala, made each one of us say a Dvatayra at every single Shabbos meal. And as I grew up, he, by mitzvah, I had to speak from by heart. I couldn't read the papers. And as I grew, I, I didn't start speaking until probably 10 years ago. And I had a lisp, and I blocked out. I, I will never be a speaker. I cannot be a speaker. It was not true. You, you never know why you're here. You have to look into your backpack. There's a commando group, Israeli soldiers, very, very uh, top, top commando group that they drop in behind enemy lines. But they're very scared that, that they, could be, they could always be spies. If there's a spy, they're going to get caught. And you don't want to get this group caught. So the commando group is never told what their job is. 
when they when they parachute down, they open their backpack, and whatever's in that backpack. So if the guy has a radio, he knows he can't use the radio to be a sniper. He's the radio man. If the guy has a sniper gun, he's the sniper guy. If the guy has an anti-tank gun, he's an anti-tank guy. So by looking in their backpack, they find out what their mission is. We don't know what's in our backpack because we're so busy on our phones that we don't get a chance to sit by ourselves and try to figure out who am I and what am I what am I crisis? I have a good voice, so let me go, go. Let me go to an old nursing home and sing for the old ladies. Not me. I'm talking about you guys, right? They're so happy. I remember I, I play the drums. So when I first started to learn how to play the drums, so you, you're a teenage guy. Drum drums are very cool. So there was a little group of guys in Muncie that would go to the nursing home in Muncie. My friend Chaim Steinberg, he played piano. They always have a piano in the nursing home and a piano. My friend Oshi Langsam used to sing. And I went along to play the drums. Now, drums don't go with piano. And people in nursing homes don't like drums. You're banging. They're like, quiet, little boy, right? And I came, but but we were a band. I came with my drums. And we went every Friday. And I'll never forget it. We didn't know their songs. We knew our songs. And they taught us by by Mir Bifter Shane and Habanagiwa and Zum Gali Gali and all these songs and you, you, can't, you can't understand the chiyos the life that we gave to these people playing drums banging their brains I banged, banged half of them didn't hear me anyway it didn't make a difference but the chiyos so I looked at my backpack I'm like I can play drums so what can I do with the drums I sit downstairs in my basement bang my head off let's go to the nursing home then we, we formed a band after a while we actually learned how to play we formed a band you know what we did? We played at people's weddings who didn't have money, or by mitzvahs who didn't have money to hire a band. We were a free band. Now they have guys or girls that go to weddings of Bali Chuvo or Gayrim where there are no friends and there's no one dancing. So they have a group of girls I know out of, in, in Eretz Israel right now. There's about four or five seminaries. And these girls are Mitzameach girls. They go on their night when they're could be in bed sleeping and they go to these poor people's weddings and they dance they come in and they, they know how to dance and they make it levitic and they have guys that do this little song so here you are you're like yeah I'm a good dancer what am I going to do with it I get it all the time the biggest question I get from girls is why does Hashem give us talent I have this crazy voice but I'm not allowed to sing no one's allowed to hear me I can't make a record I could but they're only going to sell five of them because boys won't be able to buy them Hashem gave me the talent I'm going to unbelievable dancer but I can't go on Broadway and I can't be a ballet dancer so why, why is he teasing me he gave me, he gave me the ability what, to, to, to be in a, in, in a Jewish high school play that's why he gave me this talent and most of the girls I can dance they're, they're, in, they're in big dance and I don't know that much, I have daughters but, you know, but the main star is only one there's only one main star and the answer is did you ever think that you could go to, to become part of a group that goes dancing at weddings for girls who are don't have people dancing for them. You think he you think he made you give you the ability to dance for the for the for the high school play? No, he gave the ability to dance to be misameach. There's unbelievable groups of girls in Eretz Yisrael. They go from wedding to wedding because a lot of Israelis don't don't have that many people by the wedding, and they misameach. Imagine the kala, twenty girls walk in and they're dancing with her a whole night. So, so yeah, you, you, you have to look in your backpack. And if you're an artist, then you could go draw. My grandmother, Old Rosholem, used to be in a nursing home. And her best time, when a bunch of girls used to come, and they used to draw cats. Whatever they used to draw, it doesn't matter. And she had her paintings, and she used to sign the bottom. And used to come to the nursing home, and she had all her paintings of cats all over her room. She was in heaven. She was 93 years old, drawing cats. That's why we're here. Don't do tshuva on, on life don't say I wish I wouldn't I wish I couldn't that's not that's not why we're here chaye sora a hundred was like twenty and twenty was like seven what does that mean how do you understand that Rashi says she was as beautiful when she was as hundred as when she was twenty she was as beautiful when she was twenty as seven some cautious on that what's the beauty of a seven year old twenty year old whatever I learned it differently. When she was a hundred, 
she had the potential of a 20-year-old. When she was a 20-year-old, she had the potential of a 7-year-old. What's the godless of a 7-year-old? What's she going to become? What's the greatness of a 20-year-old? What's she going to become? A hundred? You're done, right? You're an old lady. No, says Rashi. Not her. Sorry, Imenu, when she was a hundred, she was like 20. They came to Allahim, she baked, she cooked, she took care of them, she had a yeshiva, she had a hotel, she was on a rum side. When she was a hundred, she was like a 20 year old. What's the, a 20 year old has a whole life ahead of them. When she was 20, right, you're already 20, I'm married, what am I going to do in the world? No, she was like a seven year old, where I can do anything. What seven year old girls? They're ballerinas. They're movie stars. They're tzaddikistas. They're dreaming. I can do anything. So when she was 20, she was like 7. When she was 100, she was like 20. What does that mean? Do your math. I'm sure some of you learned this math. If A equals B and B equals C, C equals A. So when she was 100, she was like 20. When she was 20, like 7. So when she was like 100, she was like 7. Because when she was 20, she was like 7. She was like 20. So she had potential. Every day of her life was potential. That was Sari Imenu. She was 100 years old. And she had her whole life ahead of her. She didn't have a whole life ahead of her. She only had 26. She only lived to 127. But no, in her head, in her life, her potential of a 100-year-old woman was a 20-year-old girl. And a 20-year-old girl was a 7-year-old girl. And let's say you, that's how you have to live your life. You can't get old. You can't be thinking, well, I'm already... A 7-year-old woman can make another woman happy. Can, can she, maybe she can't run as fast. But as far as giving over life... Just the opposite. She has more, she has more experience. And the problem is that we don't dream anymore. And a whole discussion about this. Kids are dreamers. It's like they could fly. They have dreams of all kinds that are birds, and they have dreams that they're in the ocean, and they have dreams that they're going to be billionaires, and they have dreams that they're going to be Rebbe and Kayanevsky, and they have all these dreams, a seven-year-old kid is a, is a dreamer. Well, when Sari Mendel was 100, she was still a dreamer. There's no age that you should think that it's over. Until it's over, it's not over. And that was the godless. It was the godless of Sari Mendel. Potential. Esther Amalka was also the queen over 127 countries. And there's a connection because why was she the queen of 127 countries? Because of Sarimeno, because she was a descendant of Sarimeno. That's what Rashi says. She was a descendant of Sarimeno. She also came to this point when she was in the palace and she said, I cannot go to the king because I will die. And what did he say to her? He said, maybe for this moment you became the queen. This is your potential. This is the moment to live your potential. You're in the kingdom this is the moment where you can save Klai Yisrael. She was Sari Menu. Sari Menu was all about potential. And that's what Rashi's saying. Yes, Rashi's saying beauty. But what's the beauty of a person? What your face looks like? She didn't have pimples? I remember when I was a kid, on the paper that we took home, was that, what does it mean when she was 20, she was like 7? Her facial, her face was smooth like a 7-year-old. What are that? The Torah was telling us, that her face was as smooth as a seven-year-old, that's a, that's a compliment. We need to know that. She had a good complexion, no acne. She was 20, she had no acne. Yay! That's what the Torah was telling us about her complexion. The Torah was telling us about her potential. She was a 20-year-old, she was like a seven-year-old. I could do anything. I could fly. I could be a ballerina. I could do anything. She was 100, she was like a 20-year-old. That was the godless of Sarimena. Why did she die? Why did she die? So it's a very, very deep and very interesting chidah. And we'll end with this. So, so, so you learn Rashi straight up. It sounds like yeah, she had a heart attack. She saw her son. She saw her son being shafted. She's a regular human mother. She had a heart attack. That wasn't Sari Menu. The problem was like this. First of all, according to the chidah, she had... Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Yitzhak Avinu was born with a neshama de nukva, which means a fem- not, not a person not, not what you're thinking not a female a female neshama but not what you're thinking that he was born a female he was born a male but nekeva is din you think nekeva is rachamim the women have pity women are called din and men are called rachamim the opposite of what, what you think because women are very when it comes down to it yeah you got to pay the price 
we, we are, men are much more, when it comes to kids, kids are usually more disciplined by their mothers than their fathers. You can talk your way out. With, it. with a father, you can talk your way out of it. A mother, eh, it's not so simple. So he was born with a neshama de for a female neshama. Which meant, if you take two female neshamas, you can't, you can't get pregnant. You need a male neshama and you need a female neshama. So, being that he had a female neshama, actually, had he married Rivka with that neshama, he would never have had children. And Kleisol would have never come out of Avram Avinu. The Satan knew that if he could stop the Akedah of Yitzhak Avinu, then Yitzhak could get married to Rivka with a female neshama, he would never have children. So he kept coming to Avram and Yitzhak saying, how could you take your child to kill him? Hashem promised you that from Yitzhak there will be children. If you kill him, there won't be any children. And so it must mean that your dream is false, because God told you from Yitzhak you're going to have children. But if you bring him up and you shut him and he wasn't married yet, he's not going to have children. It was actually the opposite. If he if he didn't ha- if he if he didn't do that kedas yitzchak he couldn't have children. What happened was that when Abraham Avinu did that kedas yitzchak he cut one of the two pipes. We have a food pipe and we have an air pipe. He cut the food pipe, and Yitzchak was dying. And the malachim grabbed him and took him to Ganeiden to heal him. In this world, that once that's cut, you can't heal somebody. They took him to Shemayim to heal him. What did Sari Menu see? She saw the Malachim by the Akedah taking Yitzchak from the Akedah to Shemayim. She wanted to be with her son. But she couldn't be with her son because she's on this world. So she prayed that her Neshama, her Neshama like ran out of her because her neshama wanted to be in the next world to take care of Yitzchak, because that's what they took him. How do we know that they took him to Ganeiden? Because in, in Pasha's told us, when Yitzchak blessed Yaakov, and he smelled the jacket of Esau that he was wearing, and he said, this is the reyach, the smell of Ganeiden, because he was wearing Nimrod's clothing, that Esau stole from Nimrod, which was the clothing that Hashem made for Adam and Chava in, in Gan Eden. So Rashi asks, how could Yitzhak say that I smell your clothing smells like Gan Eden? How does Yitzhak know what Gan Eden smells like? He was never in Gan Eden. So Zechidah, he was in Gan Eden. Because when they went to heal him, he was in Gan Eden, so he knew what it smelled like. So he smelled the jacket, he said, hey, that jacket smells like the jacket from Gan Eden. That's how he knew the smell. So, sorry, Meno did not die because, oh my gosh, my son's dying. No. She wanted to be with him. On top of that, the Chidot says that that she had um, two neshamas. She had his neshama and 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 she had her neshama and Yitzchak's neshama, a piece of it. And what happened was that when Yitzchak saw the knife coming down to his neck, from the fear of watching the knife come down to his neck, his soul, that female soul, jumped out. Where did it go? Anyone know where it went? Where did the female Neshama go? Into the aisle. Into the ram that they were bringing as a carbon. And it says, Acher, another. And it says, what's the another? It had Yitzchak's soul. So when Abraham Avinu shechted the aisle, the, the soul was in, 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 this is from Rechaim Vital and the Chidah, so when he shechted the aisle, then where did the Neshama go? So Yitzhak had a female neshama. It went into the, into the ram. Now that he shechted the ram, where did the neshama go? The same moment of Akedah Yitzchak, Rivka was born. And Rivka had that neshama for three years, the female, that female neshama. Yitzchak, whose neshama, female neshama left, got a male neshama. He went, right? So exactly three years when he came out and he was healed, that's when she went on the camel and she fell off the camel. L'suach, it says, by Yitzchak, Yitzchak l'suach basada. Says all the Mepharshim, l'suach basada is an expression, and Yitzchak came out of Ganeiden. L'suach basada is an expression of Ganeiden. He had just come out of Ganeiden healed. That's when she, and she originally had his neshama. His neshama was connected to Sari Imenu's neshama. Now that she had Sari Imenu's neshama, the part 
from Yitzchak. When she came to the tent, what happened? The candle went back on. The bread got back warm. The Shechina came back because Sari Imenu, who was Chava, came back to the tent. I know it's a little heavy for this at the end of a year, but that's what that's what happened. And now Yitzchak could have children because now Yitzchak had a neshama. The Zechari had a male neshama, and she had the female neshama, which was originally in Yitzchak, and that's how she had her two children. That's how she got pregnant, because of that. So what we learn from all this is that what you see is not what you get. That there's a lot of stuff in the Torah, right, that we don't, we don't understand, a lot of things that we don't understand. But at the end of the day, what looked like, this is the lesson, what looked like the worst thing that could happen, that the Satan was right. Satan said something very simple. If God comes to you and tells you, you're going to have a child named Yitzchak. From him, that's your first, right? Your first, he, he was a Brisbane of Psalms. So it's not a dream, it's a, what's the word? Um, it's like meditating. It's your... A vision. A vision. Okay, we'll call it a vision. So he has this vision, and God says to him, you're having a child, Yitzchak, name him Yitzchak, and from him is going to come a nation. Okay. Next vision you have says... Take that child and kill it. So the Satan said to, to Abraham Avinu, listen, it can't be that both visions are true. The first vision came to you, said, Hashem said, you can have a child and the nation, and the second says, kill him. You gotta go by the first vision. Not by the second vision. You gotta go by the first vision. So the second vision about killing him, you had a dream. You had a bad dream. Don't listen. And his whole taina was that if you're gonna listen to the second dream, then you're not going to have children from Yitzchak. Meanwhile, he was fooling him. Because the only way you're going to have children from Yitzchak is if you try to kill him. Because when you try to kill him, the female Neshama is going to run out. So, so the Sultan is, he played this game where it looked like you're doing the worst thing and you're, 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 you're not going to have any children, there's not going to be any cholesterol. But he had such a moon in Hashem that Hashem told me to do this. I don't understand. If I kill Yitzchak, I was going to have children. He wasn't married. But as Hashem said to do this, I don't have charata, and he did it. And because he did it, if you learn the chidon, you see how everything moved and moved, that's how Avraham Avinu had children. So the lesson from tonight's year is number one, don't ever do tshuva on a mitzvah. If you did something right, it's yours. If you, if you feel bad for doing it, you lose it. And he, if you beat him, and many, I'm sure there are many people in this room who there's something challenged on something that you that you struggle with, and you finally beat him, he's going to make something happen. You're going to say, oh, I did this for you, Ma, and now you don't appreciate it? I wish I never did it. Gone. You just lost the whole thing that you did. So never do tshuva on a mitzvah. Ever. And realize that every single person has a potential. You will not be in this world if you don't have the talents to make the trip that Hashem set up for you, if you don't have the talents, he's not, he wouldn't have set it up for you. So you have to spend time with yourself, and you have to figure out what your talents are, and then you have to figure out how to use those talents to help the world. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. You're here to bring God's name into the world, and you're here to help the world. And don't let anyone ever tell you that you have no talents. We all can plant. Find out what you can do, and... And that will give you the greatest growth. And you should be like, like you, my bracha to you is you should have shnei chai That when you're 100, you should be just, your potential should be like a 20-year-old. When you're a 20-year-old, your potential should be like a 7-year-old. What's the potential of a 7-year-old? You look at a 7-year-old, you look at her, you ever hear that saying? Who's a wise man? The person who sees the, what's a nailad? The future? That's not what nailad means. Nailad means the birth. What does that mean? When you look at a baby, what do you see? All you see when you look at a baby, a baby is born, the mother's holding the baby, it's all bloody and it's, it has a diaper and it's burping and it's like, what is that? What, what do you see? And everyone's like, oh, it's so cute. And you're thinking to yourself, it looks like a monster. Right? But you have to say it looks cute, right? It just came out, it's head squashed, it's a cone, it's like, I've been there when babies are born. They're not pretty. Until they wash them up and they clean them and they get the cone head down, right? They put the little hat on them. What's, what, what, what do you, what, what's the beauty of a baby? What does it do? It does nothing. It doesn't talk. It doesn't walk. It doesn't eat on its own. You gotta burp it. It can't even burp on its own. Hashem creates us primitive. 
Animals are born, they, they, they stand up right away and they walk. We gotta wait a year till we walk. They got teeth. We gotta wait a year till we get teeth. We're primitive, right? So what's the beauty of a baby? Girls, what's the beauty of a baby? It does nothing. It has its whole life ahead of it. It's potential. Who's the wise person? Who could look at a, a baby that does nothing and see what it could become. That's the beauty. Rabbi, Rabbi Greenwald always said, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald in Ben Eden, he said, when I look at a 16-year-old girl, I don't see a 16-year-old girl. I see a Bobby. I see a mommy. I see a Bobby. I see a great-grandmother. I don't see her as she is. I see her potential. You need to look in the mirror and look at yourself. And see what I can do, what my potential is. And if you do that, thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.